us today on fulfilling your ministry. As I've been waiting on the Lord, I feel very specific to really speak to us and challenge us about fulfilling our ministry as disciples. Fulfilling our ministry as disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 6 to 8. 2 Timothy 4 verses 6 to 8 says this. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who love, who have loved his appearing. Paul the apostle, coming to the end of his life, gives, gives this valedictory. He speaks about how he has lived his life and how he was ready to die. I pray that you will be ready to die when your hour comes. I pray that you will live your life in such a way that when your last days are upon you, you will be rejoicing, you will be glad, you will be anticipating the next venture of your existence with the Lord. I pray that you will be ready. And I want to talk to you and I want to challenge you. And uh, you may say, oh, that's a very far time ahead. Well, I still want to challenge you that you will fulfill the ministry God has for you as his disciple. Paul was saying, I am being, already being poured out as a drink offering. In other words, the way he was living his life up until that point, it was as if he was a, an offering to God. He was not living aimlessly, and he was in prison at this time. He was, he was in exile. Everybody, all the key guys he had started with, had all left him. He said, all men have left me. Titus, one of his right-hand men, had left him and gone to Dalmatia. The others had left him. You know, even demons had forsaken him. Only, only, um, only, um, 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 only, um, what's his name was with him? Only one guy was with him. I can't remember. He said, bring John Mark. The other guy that I said, chuck him off the ministry, bring him. The guy he had given up on, he realized he was useful. You know, in life, you never know who is going to be useful to you. Sometimes there are some people who are a pain in the somewhere, but one day, ahead of you, you're going to need them. But the point I want to make was this, is, is, want to make is this, that Paul, as his time was coming closer, he wasn't slowing down. He wasn't retiring and locking himself somewhere and just living his life as if nobody else mattered but him, his belly, and any comforts around his life. He says, I've already been poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is ahead. I have fought the good fight. Beloved, this that we are in is a fight. It's a fight to the death. The enemy wants your good fight. You are either fighting a good fight, or you are fighting a bad fight. I pray that from today, you will know how to fight a good fight, a good warfare, a good battle. 
I want to tell somebody here, stop complaining. Stop moaning. Stop looking down on yourself and on what you've been going through and start to gird up your loins like a mighty man of war and begin to fight on behalf of the Lord and destroy your enemy who seeks to destroy you. I want to challenge you. God has a purpose for your life. There is a destiny on your life. There is an assignment to your life. Your location does not determine your future and your success. Your location, where you find yourself, does not determine whether you are victorious or not. He was in prison. Everybody had forsaken him. Yet he was saying, I have fought a good fight. I have fought a good fight. Say to your neighbor, I'm fighting a good fight. Come on, tell your neighbor, I'm fighting a good fight. The enemy may have beaten you up this week. He may have chinned you and knocked you down, but you are taking the mandatory count. You're going to get up. You're going to stand up. You're going to shake your hand, and then you're going to go again, and you will knock him out in Jesus' name. <laughs> he said, I have finished the race. Beloved, there is a race that you have, that you have been, that's been carved out for you. There is a race. This journey is a marathon. There are all kinds of twists and turns. There are disappointments that you will face. There are even failures that will occur. It's part of the journey. It's not how you start the journey. It's whether you finish or not. I pray you will finish in Jesus' name. I said, I pray you finish. I'm talking about fulfilling your ministry as a disciple. As we gather together as the people of God, and we gather around the theme of discipleship, if there is one thing I want to impress on your heart, is this, you are first a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where, whatever level you may find yourself at right now, I am challenging you, and I'm telling you, your allegiance is to Christ. I said, your allegiance is to Christ. When it's all said and done, when we've all, when, when everything has been done, what kind of legacy do you want to leave? When you are facing that last breath, what kind of legacy do you want to leave? When Voltaire was dying, he, 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 he had a Bible. He was, looking at, he was a very wicked man. He had the Bible. He was looking at the Bible. And somebody asked him, why are you looking at the Bible? He said, I'm trying to find loopholes. He'd been living a, a very bad life. Another, another wicked guy, when he was dying, as he was about to die, he said, I'm losing, and died. But when men and women of God were about to die, they saw Jesus. They saw angels. They were singing. They were rejoicing. They were glad. They couldn't wait. I pray that will be your testimony. He said, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Say to your neighbor, don't give up on the faith. Don't give up on the faith. The faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. The faith concerning your walk with God. The faith concerning what he has told you. The battle of faith. The journey of faith. The promises of faith. Don't give up. Just because you may have messed up. Just because you may be facing disappointments. Just because things have not gone the way you want them to go. That's not me. You should give up. 
said, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me. On that day, he will give it to me. Paul, the apostle, could confidently say, on that day, I am going to receive a crown of righteousness. Beloved, this crown of righteousness is given to us after we have been tested and tried. Blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the righteous judge, the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to him. So as you are going through your trials and your temptations and your challenges, I tell you there is a crown waiting for you on the other side. As a disciple of our Lord Jesus, the kind of legacy you should seek to leave is the, the legacy of being like Jesus in the context you find yourself. As I've been waiting on the Lord and I've been talking to the Lord, I've been telling him, Dad, just tell me. Just tell me what you want. Anything. I'm willing to do anything, give up anything, go anywhere, even Afghanistan. Before, I, I used to say, don't tell me about Afghanistan. No offense if you're from Afghanistan. But no, I don't mind. Just tell me. Anywhere. And give grace to me and my family. And we will go. The time is short. People are dying. I was listening to um, a Muslim guy who's um, um, taking drugs to Syria. Taking drugs to Syria. He's not a terrorist. Not all Muslims are terrorists. He's not a terrorist. He's not bombing up people. He wants to take drugs there and help them. You know, people, um, human, the humanitarian crisis that is there in the midst of all the wars. And the reality is he will go to jail because he's going to Syria um, because the government says no one can go to Syria now. And he said, if the government was doing it, helping them, then that's one thing. But they're not even helping them, so I am going. He's a Muslim. And we are not Muslims. Are there any Muslims here? I wonder what you and I are willing to do in response to the crisis and what we see in our world today. Too many of us are so consumed about our petty little problems, we forget the reality of torture and torment. Billions upon millions are going through right now. I tell you, the Lord said this, do not say four months and then comes the harvest. He said, lift up your eyes. Behold, the harvest is white for the harvest. It's white, it's ready to be harvested. I tell you, we need to let the Spirit of God breathe afresh on us as a fellowship. As a ministry, we need to rediscover the burden and the burning passion of Christ for our world. Why we exist as a fellowship is to make a difference, is to make disciples, is to be what Christ wants us to be in obedience to the Great Commission and fulfill the ministry he has called us to. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. As I've been waiting on the Lord, I, I said to him, I, I, you know, I'm going to make a confession. You may not like this confession. I said to him, oh, Lord, you know what? I just discovered, as I'm talking to you, I never asked you whether we should have this conference. It's a bit late, isn't it? I mean, I should have asked you that. Because normally I ask him every time, should we do or not? So I said, I'm really sorry. So uh, do, do, you, do you actually want us to have this? And I said, you speak. And I was asking myself, if he says to me, no, 
am I going to be bold? I said, yes, I will tell. I'll tell, call John. First of all, I'll call Kwame. Say, Kwame, I've got some news. <laughs> and if I can't get him, then I'll call Phil. Charlie, I've got some news, you know. The Lord just told me, you, you are not supposed to do this. So he said, that's fine. That's what I've done. But thank God, he said, I want you to be. I want you to gather, and I want you to lead. Because the point I'm making there is this. As I've been waiting on the Lord, as I wait on the Lord, I ask him all kinds of questions. Everything. Now, I'm not going to ask him, should I divorce my wife? Are you still here? Because that is a stupid question. There are certain things you don't need to ask. But I am going to ask him things that you can put on the table. And there are many things God will challenge you about. There are many things he will speak to you about, about your life and about the direction of your life if you will let him speak to you. If you will let him speak to you. Matthew 10, 24 says, this, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. The goal of every disciple is to be like his master or to be like his teacher. In the same way, the goal for our lives in every sphere of our life is to be like our Lord Jesus Christ. And in our ministry, which is the thing that we do, that we serve the world with, we serve our God with, and serve the world with, with our abilities and the graces and the talents and the wisdom and the opportunities that he's given to us, how we serve him with that, we are to do it as unto him. Don't do it for a man. Don't even do it for the church. Do it as unto the Lord. Whether you're in the marketplace or whether you're in the church, do it as unto the Lord. Say to your neighbor, do it as unto the Lord. Now, I want to give you some guidelines to fulfilling your ministry. Because when it's all said and done, what we want to hear is well done, good and faithful servant. Come on, don't you want to hear that? When you stand before the Lord, don't you want him to say to you, you did good. You know something, you can secure that by asking him, making him a prayer request and saying, Lord, between now and when I die, let me live my life in such a way that when I stand before you, you will say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. That is called wise praying. Don't pray like, oh God, I hope it, it works out one day. No, pray according to the will and purpose of God. So that's how I pray. I pray, Lord, one, don't let me ever backslide. Two, I want to make sure that on that day I'm not ashamed. So whatever shame I have from my past, from this point onwards, I don't want to be ashamed. Let the blood cover me. I said, let the blood cover you. Let the blood cover me. Let the blood cover you. All right, let me give you some guidelines. There are five. I'm, I'll, I'll emphasize one or two, but the guidelines are as follows. Concerning fulfilling ministry. Now, there are many, but I want to highlight these five. The first one is embrace the Great Commission when it comes to your life. Embrace the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Embrace it. Number two, identify and commit to your call in relation to the Great Commission. In other words, whatever God has called you to do, filter it through the lens of the Great Commission. We're talking about fulfilling your ministry as a disciple. There are some people who fulfill their ministry or what they consider is their ministry. But when you look at the ministry, there's nothing about it that is about Jesus. It's about money 
or opportunity or a name for themselves. Beloved, those things you can do without Christ. Whatever we are doing, we must seek to make sure that we are trying, that if the Lord Jesus was in our shoes, this is how he would live. If the Lord was an evangelist, I tell you, he would be in gay bars, he will be in um, brothels, he will hang around questionable people, he would be, he would be uh, in places that a lot of us will find very uncomfortable. I reckon he will be around um, Muslims and he will be, if he was traveling, he would go into some of these hot spots. If the Lord was a prophet, oh man, I think he will offend a lot of people. The kind of ministry he will have will not be a very nice ministry for self-righteous people. How would the Lord be if he was in your shoes? And how does he want you to be? I was sharing with the Grand Church about the testimony of Sister Gladys. One of her testimonies is the fact that she's been kicked out of so many gay bars for preaching the gospel. What a legacy. I mean, I've never been kicked out one. She's been kicked out. She'd go there and preach. Young people, it would be nice to see some of us becoming more radical. We become so politically correct, we amount to nothing. Identify and commit to your call. Number three, discern the times and seasons of your life. The times and seasons of your life. How God deals with you in certain times and seasons. There are certain seasons of your life, God will call you to do certain things. And other seasons of your life, God will call you to do other things. So, for instance, a mother in certain seasons of her life will not be able to be going to gay bars to preach. Because they'll be looking after children. Uh... A certain season of our lives, there are certain commitments God will have us to do that will make it impossible to do other things. Fourth thing, make yourself available. Make yourself available. If you are serious about fulfilling your call or your ministry as a disciple of Christ, learn to make yourself available to what God is telling you to do now. And learn to give up certain things that God is challenging you to give up. There are certain things in our lives that are hindering us from entering into what God wants us to do. They're not even sinful. They are just hindrances that we don't need now. And finally, exercise the anointing within you, the anointing of service within you, the abilities God has given to you. Exercise them. Put them to use. And you'll be surprised the power that God will release through you. So let's go back to the first one, embrace the Great Commission. The Great Commission is really that which our Lord Jesus gave to the church before he ascended after his resurrection. There are five places in the Bible where, in the New Testament, where our Lord emphasized the Great Commission after his resurrection. Matthew 28, 18 to 20 is one. Mark 16, 15 to 18 is another. Luke 24, 46 to 49. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 21, and Acts 1, 8. These five 
um, verses of scripture, portions of scripture, are aspects of the Great Commission that our Lord deposited to us. Simply put, the Great Commission is the mandate our Lord Jesus has given to every believer to commit to before he comes for them or before they leave the earth. Every one of us, there is a mandate that Jesus has given to us. If you're here and you're saying to me, I don't know my ministry, Pastor Joe. Joseph, I don't know what God wants me to do. I can tell you. One thing, God, for instance, there are many things you know God wants you to do. You know God wants you to love your neighbor, isn't it? You know God wants you to forgive people, isn't it? You know, some people say, if only I knew what God wanted me to do, I would do it. So why don't you forgive that person who keeps doing the wrong thing to you? Are you still here? Why don't you learn to be kind and gentle? If only you knew what God wanted you to do, you would do it. Why don't you do it? You see, sometimes we say these things, and they're just, they're, they're nice statements, but they're, they're, they're not true. And it's the same when it comes to ministry. It's the same when it comes to the call of God upon our lives. There are things that God wants us to do now if we are willing to listen. One of the things I will challenge you to have, you can write this down. Ask the Lord consistently, what do you want me to do now? Now, in this time. If you see a need that seems overwhelming, why don't you ask him, do you want me to respond to it? The God who created the universe, if he tells you to respond to something, that you think you cannot respond to, he will give you the capacity to do it. And now I notice only Pastor John said amen there. If God tells you to do anything, he will give you the ability, the anointing to do it. Our problem is we want to see God through our lenses. Beloved, if you look at God through your lens, you won't do anything. Ephesians 3.20, and to him who is able to do, now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly, above all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works in us. What is he saying? God is able to do exceeding abundantly. Above all, you and I can ask or think, but here's the catch. In relation to the power that works within you and through you. In other words, you and I limit the impossibility of God to a possibility that we will see his hand through. I want to challenge you about the ministry that God has for you. I am convinced that if CLF begins to embrace the Great Commission, we can change the world. You know, there's less than 200 countries in this world. I was surprised. I thought there would be loads. Less than 200 countries. And we have more than 200 members. So that means potentially, if every member was set on fire for God, and they decided to take a country, we could take the world. See, that's how I think. <laughs> Nervous. <laughs> the point I want to make is, God does not need a multitude to change the world. He used 300 men to defeat 100,000. 300 to defeat 100,000. He used four lepers to confound an army just by their footsteps. 
as they walked towards the city, he amplified their footsteps in such a way they sounded like a host, an army. And the, the army, the great army said, hey, these guys are coming after us. They've hired this, they've hired us. Let's run. And they ran. I tell you, you serve a God who is awesome. I said, you serve a God who is awesome. You serve the God of the impossible. And he is waiting to do the impossible through a man or a woman who will choose to believe his word. Too often we limit God. I pray you will not limit God. I said, I pray you will not limit God. Now, in the Great Commission, I've identified nine key areas that it highlights. I just wish through them because of time, and I'll go on one or two. One, the gospel itself. The gospel itself. That is Luke 24, 46 to 47. What is the gospel? That it is written and that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. That's the gospel. That's it. The gospel deals with the sinfulness of humanity, the grace of God, the sacrifice of Christ, the provision of salvation, and the call to repentance from dead works. That's the gospel. And if you understand that message, and if you understand its implications, you will know why it's good news. Secondly, the Great Commission deals with the authority of Christ that he's given to the church. Matthew 28, 18. Our Lord, he says this, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. And then he says in verse 19, go therefore. All authority was given to him and he's delegated that authority to us. Also, John 20, 21. Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Listen to me. Beloved, you don't need any man's permission to preach the gospel. Even if you're under discipline. Let's say you've sinned in church and you're under discipline. There's one thing your discipline cannot do. It cannot stop you from preaching the gospel to somebody. Are you still there? You Maybe you've been on discipline before. I mean, if you've ever been... Anyway, let's move on quickly. <clears throat> the third thing the Great Commission addresses is evangelism. Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples. Luke 24, 48, he says, you are witnesses of these things, what Christ has done. Acts 1, 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Beloved, evangelism is why the church is still here. Sharing the gospel with others, preaching the word of God. Bringing others the opportunity to hear the gospel message is why we're here. And we need to train ourselves afresh and we need to train our children, orient our church to be a soul winning machine in the hands of God. I pray that we will not be intimidated by evangelism. I pray that as a church, are you still here? I pray that we will catch a burden. Listen, people are dying, they're going to hell. The reason why we're gathered here is not to have a great celebratory time. It's to challenge us on discipleship, to be the church, to be disciples, to be the soul winners, to be the evangelists, to make a difference to our nation, to our community, to our world, to our family. Somebody is looking to us. They don't even know it. They are looking and relying on us 
to be able to share the gospel message so that they can be rescued from the fires of hell. Right now, there are millions and billions of people roasting in hell. They will never, ever have a chance again. But now there are also billions alive today. And some of them are waiting for you and I. I pray that we will wake up. We will stir up. We will be transformed. We will be challenged. We will be provoked. We will not give up until we see soul safe through our hand. I pray that God will so stir us, will shake us, will, will provoke us, will make us uncomfortable. And we will no longer be the church we have been where we can just come in and be comfortable and say, oh, that was a nice sermon, oh, that was good, and we had nobody that we brought to church. There's nobody we are praying for. There's nobody we are reaching out for. Our cars come empty. They come empty and go empty. Are you still here? I tell you, there is a stirring. God is doing something in the nations of the earth. I'm so convinced of it. The power of the gospel of Christ. He's doing something in the nations of the earth. And he's looking for his church. Wherever they are, if they will respond, he will use them. I pray you will respond. I pray you will respond. I pray you will respond. Listen to me. There are people who woke up today and they woke up in hell. And it's too late for them. It's too late for them. It's too late for them. They will never have a chance again. They will never have a chance again. But you and I, we are alive today. We are alive. We have the opportunity to hear the gospel message. I tell you, it's time to stop thinking of yourself. It's time for us to stop being so self-centered. There are things I have to be honest. I'm ashamed of as a pastor, as a, as a family man. I'm ashamed that my children, my family, were not active in evangelism. I'm ashamed that my family, we haven't won people to Christ as a family. We're not fasting and praying for people as a family. I pray God will provoke my family and change my family. Open the eyes of my family to see the need of the salvation of people who do not know Christ. We need to change. We are in a different kind of arena now. Our world is a different world now. And we're entering into a season where, in some respects, darkness will grow ever stronger. Lives will become more plausible. And the difference will be those who possess the power of God. He said, in those days, the people that do know their God, they shall be strong and do exploits. It is the people that know their God that will manifest the reality of that God. I pray that you and I will embrace the call to evangelism. I am praying that God will raise up apostles and prophets and evangelists in CLF with a passion and burden for the lost who will go into the field, who will go out there, who of their own initiative will get up like Philip the Evangelist and go into a territory and see the power of God and bring a report to the church. May God stir you to what he's called you to. May God give you a vision for the harvest. May God open your eyes to the cries and the tears of the lost and the dying. May your life become a life of significance that causes souls to be saved. Evangelism. Another aspect of the Great Commission. Fourth, discipleship. Discipleship. Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Not converts. Not church attendees. How many people in your church? 5, 10, 15, 20, 200, 300. How many of them are disciples? We have a lot of church goers. But not so many disciples. That's why we have the kind of confusion we have in the church at times. Many issues. That come my way as a pastor. 
a discipleship issue. Husband and wife not talking, discipleship issue. Husband and wife fighting, discipleship issue. Abusing each other, discipleship issue. Often it's as simple as forgive them again. But I forgave them five times. Oh, wow. Aren't you good? Five, is that all? Five times. How many times has the Lord forgiven you today? Sometimes we lose the plot. Listen to me. The issue of discipleship is a, such an important issue. He said, go and make disciples. Anybody I mentor, I challenge them on the issue of discipleship. I don't give them alibis. I tell them straight. They know. I tell them straight. This issue is a sin. This issue is wrong. When people come to me for counseling, I don't tell them lies. They, as they tell me their story, I listen carefully. And then, you know, Pastor, I know you're a man of God. You tell the truth. Trying to butter me up. They give it, give it. And then I say, you know what? You're a very selfish person. You're a bad husband. You're a bad wife. In my view. <clears throat> the reason why your marriage is off the... I tell, I tell people. Some of them are not members of my church. I tell them the truth. Tell them. They say, ask me, I believe the Bible. I say, no, you don't. You don't. Because if you believed the Bible, you wouldn't be saying what you're saying about your spouse. People who believe the Bible do not talk like that. Stupid man. Stupid woman. People who believe the Bible don't talk like that about their wife. Religious people talk like that. Not people who believe the Bible. Are you still here? Discipleship. Then the next issue, baptism. Baptism. What is that? It's about being part of a local church. The need to be baptized. If you're not a believer, born again, if you're a born again believer, sorry, who hasn't been baptized, you're in disobedience. Baptism is not an option, it's a command. But baptism speaks of the fact that you're part of a church. That is, every child of God who's serious about being a disciple must be connected, plugged into a local church. Not just visit as and when they feel like. Plugged in to the life of the church. Some people have their own theories. As for me, I'm in a church without walls. Wait till you have a funeral. Let them come and do your funeral for you. A church without walls. Some people have a, a as for me, my church is just between me and Jesus. Wait till you have a crisis. See if you and Jesus, if Jesus gives people to handle crisis in people's lives. People will talk all kinds of nonsense when they have no problem, real problem. Wait till they face a proper problem. Pastor, pastor, you know you're my pastor. No, no, I don't. I don't know I'm your pastor. The other day I told someone, I don't know I'm that person's pastor. I don't know that. Am I their pastor? No, 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 no. You can't assume. My pastor used to say, don't, don't assume things. Can't do the Irish accent. He used to say, my pastor's an Irish accent. He said, don't assume, to assume is to make an ass. My pastor said this, make an ass out of you and me. That's what my pastor said. I'm not swearing. Remember, he used to say that. He did, from the pulpit. So I'm just following my spiritual father. <laughs> Baptism. The next area is teaching. Teaching. He says, teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. I'm talking about the Great Commission. That means if you and I are committed to the Great Commission, there will be people we are teaching to observe what we've learned from Jesus. 
My question is, what have you been learning from Jesus that you are teaching to others to observe? What have you been learning from Jesus? You see, if you've been in the Lord for a while, there should be things that you've learned from the foot of Jesus. That the Lord has taught you. There are certain things the Lord has taught me that I have, by the grace of God, been able to teach others. He's taught me how to control my tongue. He's taught me how to warfare. He's taught me how to live a holy life. He's taught me how to walk by faith. He's taught me how to teach others and to train others. And so what I have learned from him, that which I have received, that I have learned, that I have heard, that I have handled, is what I will also give to you. So that you can fellowship with the same God that I've been fellowshipping with. That's what he says in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. That which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have received, which we have handled, of the word of life. The life was manifested, and we beheld it. Eternal life, which was with the Father. That which we have seen and heard, we have revealed to you, or manifested to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, and his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And I paraphrase it, but the essence of it is this, that you teach others what you have learned from Jesus. And I want to challenge you, especially those of us who've been in the church for a while, I want to challenge you to become a discipler of others. You know, the Lord gave a prophetic word through one of our prophets in CLF in Ghana, and he said this. The Lord was telling me to tell the mature leaders. He said, the Spirit of God said this. You have trained people in, in your church in the UK. You've trained people, leaders, in the ministry who have now taken a step back because of their families. That's the reason they've taken a step back. And the Spirit of God said this. Whilst it is good, to take care of your family, you have gone to the extreme. And because of that, the thing that you are looking for, he says you will not be able to get it until you rectify that error and prioritize again the house and the work of God. That's what he said I should tell you. So I've told you. We need to rediscover that we need to teach others. Even as I teach on this level, I also should learn to teach on a, on a, uh, a, 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 a micro level as well. So as a general overseer, yes, I'm going to say it to you, as a geo of Christian Life Fellowship, the bishop, the under bishop, I still have a cell group. Are you still listening? I have a cell group of about 10, 11 with my, my able lieutenant who helps me out. Mama free here. I have a cell group. I, I meet my cell leaders. The other day I had the privilege of fellowshipping with them. I even, I was going to say, I even beat, I beat some, but I was beaten by women in bowling. Can you imagine? But my point is, is this. Some of us, we think we're so busy that we've lost the simplicity of discipling others. Pastor John has his mentoring groups. He's been doing that for years. Years. Mentoring people for years. Faithful to it. Come think of playing kingdom ambassadors. And it's helped many of you. I, I didn't hear anybody say amen. Hey. But it has. 
Because of it, that's why some of you are still in the church. That's why some of you are still strong. But I want to challenge all of us. You've allowed yourself, some of us have allowed ourselves to be so busy. Busy doing what? You know, sometimes people come to me and they'll say to me, you know, we're so busy. We've got so much on. The church is so busy. I say, hey, wait, 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 wait. The church. Let's take it easy now. What exactly do you do in church? Do you begin to do now? Uh, well, you know, right now, you know, the church, we're always doing something. Yeah, the church is always doing something. But what are you always doing in the church? You'll be surprised. A lot of that noise is in your head. It's not real because it's your life out there that is sucking it. Pharaoh is sucking the life out of you. That you Babylon is the one doing it to you. And you want to blame Zion for it. Babylon is draining your strength. And you are accusing Zion. The little water Zion needs from you. You say, hey, hey Zion, stop it. Babylon needs more water. Are you still there? Yeah, that's what it is. You've given your strength to Babylon and your scraps to Zion. And you wonder why you are where you are spiritually. You think you're the only one who's done a degree or have had children? I'm so glad I have three. Because some of these guys with one and two, they would have been bullying me. I've got children now. Can't come pray me too. <laughs> I got married, so I, I need to, I'm, I'm too busy. I'm, now that I'm married, I'm stupid. That is stupidity. I was nice before, now I'm being, that is stupid. You know why? God who gave you that wife, you must give him glory. You must give him praise. You must give him your strength and not undermine the blessing that he gave to you. The God that gave you that child. What turtle dove did you bring to the house of the Lord after you dedicated? When we dedicate our children, let me digress a little bit. We just dedicate. Thank you, God, for the child. Even the Old Testament saints knew to bring a turtle dove when they were poor. Big child of God like you. Where's your turtle dove? We don't want birds. It's money. We don't understand some of these principles that when you do them, they release a blessing on you. I'm not talking bring me the money. I'm talking about the house of God just so that you know. It's not me you give the money to. Somebody, eh, so it's all coming to, it's the money. <laughs> teaching. Who are you teaching? Another thing about the Great Commission is the signs of a believer. Mark 16, 17. These signs shall follow them that believe. Five supernatural signs that attest to the fact that you're a believer. Where are your signs, believers? The reason why there are a few signs among us, the clue is in verse 18 and 19. Verse 19. Verse 19. Can somebody, can, I t can you have it? Verse 19. Mark 16. Verse 19. 19 and 20. This is the reason why many people do not have the signs. It says, so then, after the Lord has spoken to them, he was received up into heaven 
and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. The reason why we don't see signs is because we're not going everywhere to preach the gospel. Those of us who have seen signs will attest to the fact it was on the mission. It's as we went out and made ourselves available, we saw signs. I tell you, it's time for some of you to respond to that missionary call. And I'm not talking about one week in Barbados. You know, some, some of the missions we do is so tame. I'm going to a mission in Antigua. Oh, I would love that mission. In Pastor Leslie's house in Antigua, I will rent my car and then I will go. We'll go to a 10-day mission. Saturday evening, we'll go to church, Sunday church. But then you have to also be wise and have a break on the beach. Now, if God sends you to Antigua, wonderful. Oh, Lord. <laughs> but the reality is, some of us need to save up our money and then sacrifice and go on missions. You can spend thousands. I mean, I'm serious. The way some of you go on some of these holidays, single people, married couples, you go on these fantastic holidays. What, is, what stress have you got? that you need to go on these fantastic holidays. What stress. Fantastic. Two weeks, ten days, two thousand, five thousand. And uh, the blessings of the Lord. Blessings. Uh, and I'll give my 20 pound a month to um, CLM. I've done my bit. You ain't done nothing. We'll see when you're 20 pounds, but you ain't done nothing. <laughs> no. Listen, we need a paradigm shift. We need a paradigm shift. I tell you, we need a completely different outlook. What is the difference between how we holiday and how the world holidays? How we party and how the world party? How we live our lives and how the world live our lives? What is the difference? I don't see much of a difference. They go to Ibiza, we go to Ibiza. They dance with us. I don't see any difference. I don't see any difference. I don't see any difference. The way the world handles itself and the way we handle ourselves, I don't see any difference. We are protective and territorial over our comforts as the world is. When was the last time, and I tell you, I feel so about it, that you invited a stranger to come and stay in your house because they have nowhere to live. Hey, let me go and check with the missus first. You dare bring somebody like that to your house without checking with the missus. They'll say, holy ghost or no holy ghost. They are not coming in. What kind of Christianity do we have now? What is that, Pastor John? It's rubbish. It's rubbish. It's rubbish. I tell you people, I'm not lying to you. I'm talking about discipleship. Where is the radicality of following Christ? Wait, where is that? I, you know, we are afraid in case we invite too many people to a dinner and there's not enough food. What kind of Christianity is that? It's, it's not proper Christianity. I'm telling you, it's not, you know. If you invite people to your house and you run out of food, it's a glory that you are willing to sacrifice and bless people. If you run out, you run out. Sorry, it's finished. It's 
it's finished. Sorry, be nice to have it, but we've ate it all. It's finished. Me, myself, I haven't had any. It's finished. Not, mommy, what, what do you do? And then the wife is. <laughs> Meanwhile, this house belongs to the Lord. Jesus, Jesus is the head of this home. Yeah, right. Well, first of all, that's not even scriptural. Your husband is supposed to be the head of the home. But since you're the neck, gragger. <laughs> and it's the same. The wives will be try to be generous, and the husbands are as stingy as nothing. What did you do? You, you pledged what? How much did you pledge? How much did you pledge? Well, you should check with me. I'm the head of this house. It's too much. We're not giving it. What kind of discipleship is that? I am challenging you. Let us see some signs. The supernatural signs come when we make ourselves available. I'm going to conclude with these last two statements. Presence. The presence of the Holy Spirit. Our Lord said, Matthew 28, 20, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And Luke 24, 49, it says, Behold, I send the promise of the Father. One of the key things about the Great Commission is, the Holy Spirit is with us all the way. And our Lord Jesus is with us all the way. All the way. Every step of the way. And it's in partnership to the senior pastor, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's in partnership with them that we obey the Great Commission. I like to ask the Lord questions. I like to ask him, what country do you want us to go into? And I listen. I listen. And many times we say, no, I don't want you to go here. 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 Because me, I'd like to go anywhere. But then you say, I want you to go there. I say, Lord, look at the bank balance. The other day, Pastor Edward challenged me. He challenged me. I said, where are you coming from, Pastor Edward? He said, I've just come from Kenya. Listen to this, Peter. Dennis is here. Dennis, listen. I said, you went to Kenya? He said, yeah. I said, but the, uh, the thing. He said, I'm not going to let that stop me, Joseph. <laughs> he said, if I die on the mission, that's the best way to die. He said, and I went to Mombasa. I went to Mombasa. That's where the bomb happened. And I said, Eddie, you just ministered to me. I was scheduled to go to Kenya that same time. But when this thing happened, <laughs> we postponed it. What a shame. I said, I, I decided from the day I will never do that again. Unless the Spirit tells me. I will never do that again. I will never run from danger in pro perpetrating the gospel. Unless the Spirit says don't go. I was so encouraged. He said, he said to me, listen, Joe, we only have a short time. He's trying to fulfill his apostolic ministry. He travels so much. He travels so, I mean, his children have been growing up, but he travels a lot because he's trying to fulfill his apostolic ministry. I thought, Lord, I repent. I repent. Yes, I will consult with my family and so forth. We will talk prayerfully and all of that. We will not be foolish. But we will not hold back. We will seek to honor God. 
as we honor God and honor our families, we will not worship our families. You know, once the Holy Spirit said to me, can you trust me with your children? Can you trust me with your family? As I travel, because any time I travel, anyone who's in missions, as you will know, when you travel, you feel it for your family. You know, I hear Pastor Daniel say to me, you know, traveling is very difficult because of bringing the children, having to leave them. You know, it's a big challenge for Phil. It's a big challenge. You feel it. Because it's a pressure on the wives and the children. It's a pressure. But you know, that's part of the price we have to pay. That's why we must learn to listen to what God is saying. And we work with our spouses and our families with the wisdom of God. But God is with us. That's the point. He is with us. When you obey the great commission, he says, I am with you always. And love will not leave you. And I will come. When you embrace the great commission, you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to fulfill what he's called you to do. Luke 24, 49, he says this. I, behold, I send the promise of the Father. But tarry or wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Until you're clothed with power from on high. They had received the Holy Spirit, but they needed the clothing, the anointing. That's where prayer and fasting comes in. Acts 1.8, but you shall receive dunamis, miraculous power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And what I'm saying to you is this, whatever God has called you to, if you seek to fulfill your ministry, embrace the Great Commission. Look at your whole life through the lens of the Great Commission. And as you do that, you begin to walk and run in the direction that the, God, the Holy Spirit has for your life. Amen. Let us stand.